Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Previously on Mentally Yours. I don't personally believe that anybody <laughs> is like 100% like mental health wise. I think we all kind of ebb and flow individually, regardless of our racial background, go through some sort of regardless of our economic standing, we deal with some sort of mental health issues at some point in time. So for myself, particularly being African-American, living in America, you know, there's just things that happen within our community, mental health wise, that were not talked about maybe until like the mid nineties. Both of my parents have dealt with depression. I've dealt with depression. I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was like 12. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and I'm on my own today. I'm going to be chatting to Danielle Ham, who's the Associate Director for Campaigns and Policy at Rethink Mental Illness. She's also a member of the Mental Health Act Independent Review Working Group. So basically, I've asked her in to talk to us about the Mental Health Act. It's a piece of legislation that talks about people with mental health issues, what happens when they're detained and treated against their will. So hopefully you'll find this interesting. So the Mental Health Act is the piece of legislation that says when you can be treated um, forcibly Mm. in hospital. Sectioning, basically. Yeah, it's often described as being detained or being sectioned. That's the legal language that's used. It's used when people are deemed to be at risk to themselves or indeed other people. And usually that's when people are in times of crisis, for example, um, at risk of suicide or experiencing an acute psychotic episode, for example. Mm. And it's there really designed to to ensure that people get the care that they need Mm. at that time of crisis. Around 45,000 people are detained under the Mental Health Act every year. And I think most people don't know very much about it unless they they have got a friend or family that has experienced that. But it it is a significant minority of people. So am I right in thinking that basically at the moment it's it's going under quite a big review at the moment because it was brought in in the 80s, is that right? So what sort of changes are being proposed? The Mental Health Act is... Like you said, it was brought in in the 80s. It's about 34 years old. 
And I think it's important to like, like think about the context of that and how far we've come in those 34 years. Mm. At the time the Mental Health Act came into force, you couldn't be an MP if you had a mental health problem, just as an example. And people in hospital couldn't vote. And there was an enormous amount of stigma, and I think it probably still is, although podcasts like this and, and a lot of anti-stigma campaigns and the fact that we're talking about mental health more openly has really helped with that. But we've, we're stuck with an act that, is really out of step with modern views of mental health. Um, so that's really a strong driver for reform. The Mental Health Act is the only piece of legislation that starts from the principle that the person being treated doesn't have a say in their care. And that's so different to what would happen if you broke your leg, for example, where you would be listened to, your treatment preferences would be adhered to, if at all possible. Mm. But those same rights don't exist mm. with mental health. And that is very much out of step with today's views mm. on, on mental health and mental illness. I suppose it's, it is probably quite a big fear for a lot of people just generally, whether they have mental health issues or not, the idea of sort of being taken away or locked up. Um, so this is why it's an important piece of legislation to be talking about, I think. So we know what it is and what what it sort of sets out at the moment, how it's being implemented and how it might change. So you work for Rethink. Yeah. What kind of things have people talked to you in, in terms of their own experiences of being treated under the Mental Health Act? It's been quite concerning, to be honest. And um, We ran a survey of 8,000 people who in one way affected by the Act last year and found that the majority of people who'd been detained under it felt that they hadn't been treated with dignity and respect. And actually, really shockingly, quite a large proportion, I think it was around 45% of all health professionals, didn't have confidence that if they themselves were detained, they would be treated with dignity and respect. I mean, you talk about the, the fear of having your freedom taken away. There's also a fear of, yeah, how you'd be treated. And, and all too often we hear horrifying stories, really, of people feel being done to rather than involved in their care. Mm. Um, at the extreme end, for example, um, people not being listened to about their physical illness and ending up in hospital with life-threatening illness because they weren't taken seriously when they were detained. One story that particularly sticks in my mind is a person's belongings being almost held over them and used, only given back on good behaviour. So we hear, we hear these stories too often. Um, and I think there is enough evidence, really, to, to be very confident it's not working at the moment mm. and that people's rights aren't always being respected and they're not, people aren't always being treated with dignity. But I do also think it's important to think about why the Act exists, and that was your first question. It does exist to protect people and to help people. It also exists to protect society, and I think... That's one of the criticisms of the Act, that it's been too driven by ideas of risk and not enough about that person themselves. But when we did this survey, we found that the majority of people did actually think it should exist. Some people think it shouldn't exist, but actually most people who had been affected by it did think it should on balance. Mm -hmm. And that you also hear stories that, you know, that of people saying, this, this saved my life. Mm -hmm. This is what I needed at the time. So I think it's important not to be too negative. Mm. Look at it as something that can be positive, but actually we need to ensure that we're getting it right for people, that there are huge areas where we can improve. 
and make sure that people are actually being treated the way they deserve to be treated when they're sick, which is with the highest possible standard of care, as we would expect um, in any any other area of healthcare when people are their most vulnerable. Mm. I suppose perhaps um, a lot of it, or some of it maybe, comes down to abuses of power or potential abuses of power. Um, some of the blogs that we've had written for metro.co.uk when people have talked about being sectioned, um, sometimes they've had fairly positive experiences. So it's, as you say, it's been a lifesaver. It obviously wasn't an easy time for them if they've been suicidal or if they've been going through psychosis, but it's ultimately, you know, saved them in the long run. Um, but I've also heard, um, again, on on our blogs and also on sort of Twitter, quite horrifying examples of abuses of power, I'd say, in some institutions. And I don't know if it's always intentional. I think maybe it's sometimes to do with underfunding to the NHS when you have sort of staff that are just sort of at their wit's end or there's just not enough staff on. So they sort of cut corners perhaps. But the way that people are being treated, I think, sometimes is just not on. So what's Rethink doing, basically? And what's your what are you recommending? Well, the first thing that we think needs to change is that people should have far more involvement and say over what happens to them if you think in a way that we talk about these um, potential abuses and, and the way people are treated that almost the law can drive culture and if the law is very much about control control of risk then actually in, in some ways it's not surprising that that's playing out on the ward whereas if you have uh, legislation that puts the individual first, that as far as possible ensures that a person's choices can be respected and that they can have say over what happens to them. You know, it's a complex area. We're talking about people who are sick and they don't always have the decision-making capacity. Mm. But we can try and maximise that as far as possible. Another example, I don't know if this has come across through the, the blogs and the people you've been talking to, but is around the involvement of carers. Mm-hmm. And that's an area where we hear some really shocking stories, like a carer not being told that their loved one had attempted to commit suicide, for example, or sometimes not even knowing where their their loved one is. Um, and that's partly down to the way the legislation is written at the moment, where um, we have something called the nearest relative, which is the person that gets told about your care if you're detained. Now that nearest relative is determined by law so it's actually set out in law, you don't have a choice over it. So it will be your husband or your mother or your sister or your brother in some sort of order but there's no choice for that indivi- from that individual. Now there are some safeguards you can overturn, you can appeal for that to be overturned but that's after the event. It's the default that, that you go to this list and, and that's something so obvious that that we just need to change. There's no reason why an individual shouldn't have a say over who their information is shared with and who is involved in decisions about their care. Another area we're focusing on, again, this is all around maximising that the sense of empowering the individual and having their choices respected, is um, advanced decision-making, where somebody can lay out what they want to happen to them when they are well and they've got a lot more insight into what they might be like when they're ill and actually sort of exercise some choice um, about what they do and don't want. And we think that advanced decisions should be available to everybody and that health professionals should 
be legally obliged to consider them um, where appropriate. In terms of your own personal involvement, um, what made you want to work in this sector? I think mental health is something that seems so underfunded, (laughs) stigmatised. I've experienced mental health problems myself and I've got friends and family that have as well. And, you know, the access to care and the way people are treated is is so often, I would say, substandard and and so different to what you would expect if if you had... I'll go back to the example of, you know, a broken leg or or cancer or, or, you know, which are no less bad, but actually the access to care you get is so much better and the acceptance that people have in society is so much higher. It has been traditionally. So I really see it as an area that is... is it's, it's an inequality, really, and um, I'd like to live in a world where people are treated equally Um and that if somebody has a mental health problem, they receive the best, they always receive the best possible care available. Um, and that there's a focus on recovery rather than restriction. So what can listeners do to support the changes to the Mental Health Act? It's really important that whatever this review team actually recommends that is actually turned into new legislation. And there is a real risk that won't happen, especially with our parliamentarians' time being dominated by Brexit. So we need to keep up the momentum, keep um, pressure on our MPs and ensure that they realise how important this is and they give parliamentary time to it. So we have got a campaign called Act for Mental Health that you can access via our our website, rethink.org forward slash Act for Mental Health. And we're encouraging people to write to their MPs and share their stories. Thanks very much to Danielle Ham. If you'd like to read up more on the Mental Health Act, what it is, its history and how the law might change, please head over to the Rethink Mental Illness website. So basically, this whole discussion has been really interesting to me because, I mean, I don't think we always go for like the softer side of mental health issues, but we, we tend to kind of try and have a bit of a laugh um, in terms of it. It was very interesting to talk about uh, mental health and the law and how things might be changing I guess it gave me a lot to think about because although I've been to a mental health unit, I haven't ever been in that sort of situation where I've had to be detained. But I have had some um, quite enlightening uh, discussions with other people who have been in that situation. And um, I think the thing that really stuck with me was the things that she was saying about the abuses of power that can take place. I don't want to dwell on it too much because I don't want sort of to worry people. And generally when we're talking about... Um, people in mental health units, you know, we assume that everybody's looking out for their best interests. And I believe very strongly that is the case. You know, you can trust doctors and you can trust what's going on. Um, But at the same time, um, if this is a problem, then this is something that we need to actually be aware of um, and listen to people who are actually speaking out and saying, look, um, abuses of power are happening. um, And this is something we need to talk about. Because I think especially it's quite easy to dismiss people who have had mental health issues just because a lot of the time they're not they're just not believed because people think, well, they've got such and such or they've had psychosis. So they're automatically not a reliable source. But the thing is, as someone with bipolar disorder, I've had psychosis and I can remember all the things that happened when I was in that sort of state, um, including, you know, how people dealt with me personally. So I think if something like that happened to me, I mean, I can't say for certain, but I think I would have a vaguely sort of good idea of 
whether something was done appropriately or not. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please call the Samaritans on 116123. Thanks very much to our producer Sam Bonham and to Lucy Baker for the jingles, and also to Daniel Ham for coming in and chatting. See you next week. <laughs>